When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Meet Charlie. She loves dogs. Guilty. She powers her pup empire with Shopify. The sales won't stop. With Charlie's tech needs sorted, she can focus on turning her home business into a global operation. Yes, boy. Join Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.co.uk slash green. Go to shopify.co.uk slash green to start selling online today. Here we go. What's up, everybody? It is the CBC Wisdom Hour, number 110. <laughs> 110. For October 13th, 2020. I'm Steve Wichel in New Orleans. Tony B coming to you live from O Jersey O. I was going to say 109. I was going to say 110. And then I was like, and I'm like, wait, is it 109? Like, oh, it's 110. <sighs> 110 episodes, baby. Yes. That's a lot of wisdom. It sure is. 110 hours of archived podcasts. Imagine that when we started. Do you think we'd be at 110 episodes already? Who would have thought we made it? We would have made it to 10. Mm -hmm. All right. Listening live. I'm telling everybody. I thought double digits, Steve, for sure, but not triple. Triple. Listening live. There we go. Sharing it to the Urban Central group on Facebook. If you're not on there, we have a group on Facebook. Nice. And we also have a page on Facebook. Some people don't know the differences between groups and pages. I'm not going to get into it here because you're not on Facebook. So. <coughs> no, but, I am not. But there is a difference between a group and a page. I've, I've been meaning to write, do a write-up on that. But since I'm trying to promote the website, I'm like, eh, should I do a write-up on on why people should be on Facebook? You should like, do a write-up on the website and why people should join. Yeah, that's that's the thing that needs to be done. Absolutely. <sighs> yes. Uh, so how's it going, man? How are you? Great, brother. No complaints. Cool. Had a gig, had a gig this past weekend. Could talk about that in a little bit. A lot of fun. Nice. Um. <clears throat> Cool. All right. Well, uh... yeah. Last of the outdoor gigs. Like uh, we played a, a great venue up in the woods in West Milford called JNS Roadhouse. They got a huge outdoor, like a covered gazebo, you know, with like high tables and uh, high top tables, a, st- a built-in stage in the corner, lights, um, you know, elevated a railing to separate you from the audience, give you a nice distance, you know, with like a little travel range, mm. a bar. 
and then along the outskirts of this whole pavilion thing, we'll call it, was all fire pits and like Ooh. picnic tables and like outdoor, you know, and they had single file line, you know, for social distancing to get, get to the bar. And, you know, if you're sitting at a high top table with a bunch of people, you could take your mask off or by the fire outside, you know, but as soon as you came under the pavilion and you were going to walk, you know, amongst people, so to speak, you had to wear a mask, you know, Right. same thing when we got off the stage, we had to wear a mask, you know, but, uh, yeah, they were saying, you know, the same thing. Like after October 30th, basically, they're they're gonna have to shut down, you know, because they can't have bands inside. And currently, you know, New Jersey's 25% occupancy, so right. You know, if they got you know 200 people that would normally be inside that place, and they're limited to only 50, you know, it may not be conducive for them to be able to keep the door open. But Saturday, man, what unbelievable weather! It was absolutely beautiful out. There was a couple hundred people out, you know, out and about at the gig and um, just really, really fun night. And, you know, it's interesting with this band, OC5, that I play with, they have a very eclectic mix of covers, which we talked right. about. You know, sure. They don't do the usual cover band set, you know. Right, no Jesse's Girl, no uh No, none of that, dude. They do the most, I mean, they do gr all great songs, but just to, you know, obscure, um, you know, like, so put it this way. What was, what I laughed about was a guy actually came up to us and said, man, you guys play songs that nobody else plays and they're all really good songs. And then the guy laughed and he says, there's a couple of songs. I didn't even know what song they were. And I liked them. Nice. That's cool. Um, so, you know, like anywhere from like, all the way to Memphis by Mott the Hoople, to Start Me Up by the Stones, to Everybody Wants You by Billy Squire, to No Matter What by Badfinger, to Badge, to Learning to Fly Foo Fighters, to Here and Now Kenny Chesney, mm. to Junior's Farm by Wings, to New Sensation by NXS, to Boys of Summer, followed by Peace, Love, and Understanding. Ooh, that's a fun one. Yeah, so like great tunes, you know, Free Ride, um, you know, a little Billy Joel, just a real eclectic mix. So it was cool to see people, you know, Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a cover band do that, you know? I have, but. Yeah, know. I haven't, not around here, you know? Um. But yeah, and so you know, that's that's what the way they were pitching it too, saying like, yes, we do Tom Petty, but we don't do American Girl. Great tune, but we don't do it, you know. Right. Um, and just you know, Bye Bye Love by the Cars, like just a bunch of tunes that are good tunes. Interstate Love Song, Kryptonite, you know. Mm. Um, so interesting to see how, you know, primarily a biker bar. We play, you know, it's a lot of classic rock that they played in there, but a lot of other songs too, you know. And there was a couple of guys there that were musicians in other bands, you know, and they were coming up and they were being real complimentary, saying that the sound was really good and they, you know, they, they liked everything that we were playing. And, you know, they had some some requests. They wanted to hear, like, Ring of Fire, Johnny Cash. The one guy requested some Elvis Costello. Another guy was requesting, like, Joe Jackson. I guess they were digging into the Joe obscurity Jackson. pile since, you know, yeah, wow. like Sunday Papers or, you know, uh, Stepping Out. Stepping like Out. That. Yeah, I would love to play Stepping Out, man. That's, yeah, so I mean that's like right up the alley. You know, like take the long way home by Supertramp. Like that would be a song that we would do. You know, right. like 
great tune, but very seldom do you see anybody do it. And like you said, definitely not the standard cover band fare, you know? Right, right. You know, it's interesting. But I mean, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, we had another another date there for November that they canceled that night because, you know, the, said the manager just said, listen, we're not having any bands after October 30th because the weather's going to, you know, it's getting colder out. Right. And we can't do outdoors because we don't have heat. The pavilion's not heated, you know? Right. Um, um, but great setup, man. Like I said, they've been they've been going strong all summer outdoors, having bands every you know every weekend. They got bands every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, that those like standalone heater things that they put outside, you could maybe yeah. do, but but it gets kind of too cold up up there. Well, you can remember playing like Chambo's Oktoberfest, you know, one or two times, like you could see your breath. It was cold, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And your hands, you know, don't work right, and you know, you're all the instruments are cold you know what i mean and it's just you know yeah no by november it gets too, too, way too cold up there yeah but even like i said chambos we used to do like first week of october and i can remember once or twice we played it probably 13 or 14 times i think in a row it was like an annual event but i can remember once or twice where it was like you know less than 50 degrees out and it was cold yeah yeah that's too that's too cold i've played gigs in extreme cold and it's not fun no not fun um, but it's it's interesting song selection now, how it can change because of the dynamic of gigs. Because now, now you're not playing indoors and trying to pack the room and trying to get people on the dance floor. So that you know those kind of gigs, that's when you play the popular tunes, right? Um, but now you have people social distance; they're seated for the most part. Now it's more of a watching entertainment experience, and yes, and it was it was that a lot. <clears throat> I, will, I will say that a lot of people sat and watched. You know, people got up and danced a couple of songs. You know, there right. was two or three songs where the dance floor had you know a dozen people on it. You know, right. um, and as soon as you start playing them, you know, people get up and dance. You know, like they 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 know as soon as you start you know the first note. You know, you're into the first you know four bars and people are already getting up dancing. You know. Um, but it was very much like a performance because we get done, people would applaud, you know what I mean? They would right, cheer. It was, right. it was cool, you know? Yeah, so yeah, that, that really that. changes the whole song selection process because now you're now you're picking songs for a different purpose, you know, if you're playing gigs like that anyway. Well, what's ironic is that these guys did not pick these songs for a different purpose. This is no, their regular right. set that they would play. I mean, they got 70 songs, you know what I mean? But right. So we didn't get to probably... You know, I would say, uh, you know, there's probably, geez, they probably got 30 or 40 extras, you know, that we didn't, we didn't do. Right. You know, as opposed to all the ones that we did do. And I, I must say that we probably played at that place, you know, the sets were, we probably played 40, 43 songs maybe, you know, something right. like that. Right. Yeah. But I mean, even though that's their regular repertoire, yeah. For most bands now, going out and playing gigs, you know, socially distant gigs where you you might not have a dance floor, your your song selection process is going to be different. So yeah, uh, which is great for musicians and great for bands because we can scrap Jesse's Girl and and Summer '69 and and uh, Your Love and you know we can get rid of those songs because it's. Because the purpose has changed. That's provided that you're playing gigs and you're playing regularly, and 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 you're going to have people there. And I, I mean, I imagine things will change back eventually, but for now, 
you can kind of pick songs differently. Um, it, like, <clears throat> I did this write-up. I, I talked about it last week or the week before. I did this interview with this couple from uh, from Manchester, England, and they were doing uh, uh, oh, yeah. yep. videos. Yeah, they did a vi- uh, 100 videos. 100 days in a row they did a video. And they, when they were talking about song selection process, that's one of the things that came up. It's like, well, normally our you know, we'd be playing live and the way we would pick songs is to have people dancing and, and, you know, packing the room and blah, blah, blah. So for them to pick songs for that, that whole process of making videos, it was a whole different mentality. It wasn't, you know, you're, Oh yeah, sure. You know, so which, which really kind of opens up the creative gates for players to, uh, to come up with some, some interesting songs and, and interesting takes on songs too. So that's, well, that's uh, the thing. Like I, I that's the thing. I, I really enjoy playing with these guys, you know, because they very diverse, you know. Main you know, main guitar player, lead singer sings most of the songs, but I sing a couple of tunes, Jimmy can sing a couple of tunes, the guy, the other guitar player sings a couple of tunes, you know? Right. And their take on it, they do like we do um like it was great. We did um Dirty White Boy by Foreigner. Right, good one. But we do the live version from like uh, maybe Memphis or someplace with Tishy and uh, the other guy up front leading the band, you know. So it's like a real rocked out version, you know. And Tishy does some cool fills, so like they emulate that with the stops and the accents, you know. It's a little more hip than the the the, the album version, you know, the studio record. Cool. Um, so that that's that's pretty hip, you know. And then the other thing too is like like you and I talked about, you know, I'm only playing on. Uh, a four-piece kit, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. With, you know, Crash Ride, Hi-Hat, China. So it's fun. It's been so much fun, dude, playing all these tunes with sh- totally stripped-down drums, which is, you know, for most of them, you can get through all of it, you know? Even even The Who, I still have a double pedal, so I could still fill in the blanks. But most of the stuff is, is just, you know, it's real straight ahead, but it's different. And so many different drummers on all these songs that I've never played before, you know? So it's so cool to actually really listen to all these different guys, you know, and what they're playing and how they played it and what the actual parts to the songs are. Like you said, it's it's challenging because it's not your run-of-the-mill covers that you've played a thousand times. So right. it's exciting. It's exciting and inspiring for me because it's brand new for me. It's in, It's inspiring and exciting for the band because I'm a brand new drummer for them, you know what I mean? Right. So I'm not playing the songs the way the other guy did, you know, and I'm accenting things differently and I'm playing, you know, different level of energy or volume or, you know, I'm singing different parts than the other guy would sing, you know? So it's it's all it's new for everybody, but the advantage for me is that these guys have all played together for years, so it's like playing with a record, you know what I mean? Right. And it's afforded me the, you know, the comfort of knowing that these guys know the songs but like i told them i said i have to know the songs better than you know the songs because you have to follow me right sure and you know they had a sub over labor day weekend because i was away and um you know they have several subs before that and you know everybody plays different like you know you know and it's just if you play bass with me it's going to be different than if you know Kel plays bass with me or someone else, you know, like you're, you're like, we talk about like with Eddie Van Halen, you know, with his passing, like he just has a touch and a personality that comes through his instrument, you know, and that's what we all got to remember when we play in a cover band. Yeah, we're emulating these songs and we're playing covers and we're, you know, we're reproducing them to the best of our abilities, but you're still putting your personal 
Steve Witchell or Tony Beinert or whoever's out there listening. You know, you're putting your own personal touch on that. Yeah. And, you know, if you learn the songs note for note and you're confident with them, you're going to play them a lot better than, you know, like for me, if I just kind of listened down to the list of 70 songs and said, well, these are the 40 we're doing at the set and I, I've heard them before, I kind of know them, I can get through them. I'll just when you're craving church's three-piece classic, there's no other option. Two crispy legs, a thigh, and a warm honey butter biscuit are the only way. And that's why we call it a classic. Church's Texas Chicken. Tap the banner to find your nearest location. Offer valid at participating locations. Just watch the guys for the stops, you know? And I'll look for the key changes, and they'll cue me. Right. Sure, I can get through the gig, and it would be okay, and nine out of ten people would say it was great, you know? But if I learn the songs, and I learn them so that I know them, like I would know any cover song I played with, say, Weisenheimer's, you know? We played for you know 15 years the same songs. Then I'm going to know the song better than those guys know it, and they're going to say, oh, no, there's a stop there with an accent. I'm going to be like, no, there's not. We can do it there if you'd like, but that's not in the song. Maybe you guys have done it that way, but that's not the way it is. <clears throat> that no. happens, too, after a while. Like, you'll play a song, yeah. your, your your version of a song for so long that you, you start to think that that's the way the song really goes. And, and exactly. yeah, yeah, I've had that discussion before. Like, yeah, no, there's a stop there. And they'll be like, no, there's no stop there. Like, yeah, there is. Then you go back and listen to the record like, oh. Oh, there's no stop there. Right, but we, but for for how many years we put a stop there, you know? Yeah, right, right. But yeah. the cool thing too we're doing now, which I know you you're a big fan of too, is so like with every band, you know, the struggle is how do we keep downtime in between songs, right? How do you keep it going like boom, 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 keep boom, moving, and yeah. then have a little break to talk and but, then boom, 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 but, boom. But wait, is it necessary though? That's another thing is the dynamic changes for the type of gig. So is that really necessary when you have a crowd of people sitting down who are going to applaud after every song. And I, I mean, is it necessary to keep it moving like that? Or is it, is it a whole different thing? Well, I think professionally you want to keep it moving. I mean, if you have to stop for something for, you know, 10 or 15 seconds, someone can talk, but you don't want like, you know, you don't want 40 seconds of dead air. Okay, so yeah, okay. well, tuning yeah. up or doing something. You can only tell people so many times, you know, all the catch lines, take care of your bartenders, sure. check this out. Who, what sports teams played, you know, there's banter, there's people coming up. I mean, it was, it was a real vocal crowd. So guy, we're having conversations, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. while the guy was tuning up, guys yelling out like requests and we're saying, no, we don't do that. But you, you know, you know something else. And then everyone starts yelling out requests, you know? Yeah. Yeah. As, as long as there's something going on on stage, then it's not really considered dead air. If you're, if you're interacting yeah. with the crowd, then, then you're good. You know, that's fine. But the cool thing that like for me, like I said, with these guys knowing the songs and playing them in a certain routine is now I can kind of, look at the set list and say, you know, this song would go great into that song, you know, and keep and almost not medallies, you know what I mean? But yeah, I know what like we talked about the drummer never stops playing. You know what I mean? Sure. You're, you're constantly keep pushing and keeping the band along and everything's going, you know what I mean? And yeah. we take it for granted, but you know, these guys have never operated that way. So it's like when you start doing that, like when you stop a song and the next song starts with drums and I'm going to, I'm, you know, they, and do these guys in the band, they're like my dream band. They love drum solos. They love drum fills. They love filling up space with drums, you know, like you do a little solo here for like eight bars and then we'll bring it back in again. I'm like, okay, great. You know, cool. <laughs> so that's fun too, you know, but there's cool ways to end and start songs. So that's the next thing we're going to work on when we got some downtime, work on some background vocals, you know, cause you could, those always need work no matter what band you're in. I don't care who you are typically. <clears throat> Vocals are, you know, 
majority of the time the weakest link in a band. Um, you know, as far as being able to duplicate what's there. And then, like I said, just song arrangement and then learn some new tunes, you know, because like I said, if we're going to have winter off because no one's having bands, you know what I mean? Like, you know, now's the time, like we, like we talked about, you know, now's the time to work on stuff when you have downtime and not take it for granted and be like, oh, well, we'll just get together whenever. Yeah, you know? ideally. Stay regimented. Like <clears throat> one thing about the Foo Fighters that I loved, I read an article one time and Dave Grohl was saying that when they're not on tour, they practice 40 hours a week. It's a job. Sure. You show up and, we, and they run through stuff or they write music. Like, you know what I mean? When they come back from tour, it's like take a couple of weeks off, decompress, hang out, be with your family. But I guess they all live close enough to each other where they're, you know, close to their rehearsal space, their full-blown studio. Yeah. And they just, you know, they go there every day. Right. Like, you know, nine to five. I'll see you tomorrow. Like a job. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. There's not a lot of bands that are disciplined like that, especially cover bands. I mean, especially at, at our ages, too. There's not a lot of because cause, <laughs> yeah, exactly. because everybody's got a family. Everybody's got you know their own thing. A lot of people have yeah, other, other jobs. Listen, I'm not saying we have jobs. to practice 40 hours a week because everyone has you know to work. No, but and, I understand. You know, have set. have a plan, have a schedule, and and stick to it, and you know st keep. Yeah, we're gonna keep, rehearse four times away. this next month. You know, once a week, pick the day. Everyone you know commits to it, and then you make an agenda. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's up to having a, a good band leader too, and and uh, having somebody that's very organized. With that and motivated too. Everybody's got to be motivated. It's funny you you mentioned that. It reminded me of this thing you mentioned uh, about getting the little solos on stage. There was this guy I played with, and I would sub with him. I, I I played with him in a full band, and then sometimes he it was like his gig, and he was just subbing everybody out. And he would uh, and like uh, more uh, more obscure songs too, like like you you play with this band. And uh, he would just like out of nowhere, just stop and point at you and make and say like solo, you know, like he no warning. <laughs> what you should be soloing now? No warning whatsoever. Yeah, he would just like because he was like a showman and, he, and he's trying to entertain everybody, and that's one of his one of his shtick things. Like he would just be in the middle and then he would like just point to point to me bass solo, like at no warning, out of nowhere, and I, I have to just right on the spot come up with a improvised solo for that song whatever song it is nice yeah and i mean i used to it used to annoy me but it, it was also <laughs> it was also a good challenge like a pretty cool you know thing to really make you be creative like now <laughs> yeah and the thing is like what context is it in you know like is yeah. it like for for me with the drums like golden slumbers there's a drum break so they'll say just extend it out do a solo do whatever you want and bring the band back in again you know so that might be a good minute you know which is plenty long enough you know for drum solo at a gig to not you know crush people to into going to sleep you know and then there'll be another song like Jay Giles like give it to me and in the middle there's like a percussion breakdown so it'll be like solo you know do a solo here for 16 32 bars so it's a different mindset for solo you know what i mean you're going to solo around the groove. It's not like a spotlight drum solo. You know, you're still supporting the band, but it's like a highlight, you know, sure. for the band. Yeah. So it's the highlighting the drummer, you know. So that's cool, too, because it makes you think differently. You're not just rehashing your you – know, everyone's got their bag of tricks and licks, right? But you can't break them out every time, you know, you're called upon. You need to have some, you know, variety, diversity. And it's funny what you were saying about motivation because I read this great article on motivation versus inspiration, right? So if I'm like Steve, man, we have 
two back-to-back gigs in two weeks, and we got like these ten songs we gotta work on. You know what I mean? And we gotta be prepared for it. You're motivated. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you're motivated to do it because you want to. You don't want to suck, and you want to be prepared. But right. if I said to you, Steve, we're gonna learn these ten songs. We have no gigs, but you know, you're so excited about the music and being in the band, and you're you're better than me. So I'm excited because I'm gonna play better by playing with you, and you know, you're gonna elevate me, and it's gonna make the whole situation better. Then everyone becomes inspired because motivation is temporary. You know, inspiration is permanent. As long as you can find the motivation to keep yourself inspired, that makes sense. Yeah, makes perfect sense. You know, so when you think of it in those terms, it's like you want to have fun, you want to have a good time, you know, and you don't want drama, right? You don't want egos. Those are all the those are the death kiss of any band, right there. You know, when someone thinks that they're, you know, more important than everyone else in the band, it's usually the demise of the band at that point. You know. Mm. Unfortunately, um, or, you know, you tough it out and you stay in that situation and you just deal with it, you know, and if, you know, you're not of that type of personality and you just move on and say, this is not for me, you know, life's too short. Indeed. Um, so it's great. Like I said, it's, it's, you know, like anything, you know, new broom sweeps clean. This band's brand new for me. I'm brand new to them and we're having a great time. Cool. Very good. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Cool. You know, and like I said, it's stripped down kit. Um, makes a big difference too. you know, what instruments you play. Because it's interesting that like, you know, when you play in a band that has a full PA all the time, right? Drums are mic'd and everyone's in the PA and everyone has a monitor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At least for me, I tune my drums a certain way. You know what I mean? I, I set up the kit based on how it's going to be presented, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So with these guys, they have a very small PA, mainly vocals and, you know, a little bit of stuff in there, you know, but no subs, you know, just big 15 mains. So, but they all like Jimmy has a keyboard amp and a monitor. So he's plenty loud. You know what I mean? He can, he doesn't have to be in the PA, you know, mm-hmm. especially in the places that, you know, like that pavilion outside, right? right. It was outdoors in a pavilion. So it was, it was not boomy, but warm. You know what I mean? So, like, the bass player has a great rig. He's got, like, a Warwick bass with, uh, I think he's got a GK cabinet, but it's like a, a combo cabinet, but it's big, you know? And it sounds really fat and warm and great. And the guitar guys, too. They have their amps dialed in to where they, they sound, they're not competing with each other, and they sound full. And all the vocals are in the PA. And then I bring my 350-watt, you know, powered amp we'll call it and i mic all my drums and put them through a board and then i feed it through that thing you know just to give a little uh reinforcement but out front man the band sounds fat and full like it was through a full pa they've adapted to you know how they travel so to speak right they don't have a sound guy they don't have a big pa they got a little mixer you know like maybe six channel they could put some stuff in i give them my vocal feed but again so i set the drums up the same way big and boomy wide open you know and uh they they just they fit and they sound good and for the classic rock that we're doing like i said i bring out the slingerland kit and it sounds classic rocky you know what i mean right. it doesn't sound like uh the yamaha sound which would be okay but they're very loud and wide open and resonant you know these are like loud and wide open sounding but they have that kind of 
don't know. They got like a retro sound. It's the only way I could explain it. Hmm. Yeah, cool. I like Sling Island Kids. Yeah. It was a garbage pick that I restored, so even better. There you go. Cool, man. I miss playing. <laughs> yeah, like I, I've been playing a lot at home, you know, but I missed playing out. Like I said, and playing with these guys was a nice little refresher. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like you play better when you don't play all the time. You know, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? The energy was like it was high energy. Everyone hadn't played in like a, a couple months, and they were everyone was excited to play and prepared. You know what I mean? And just yeah. you know, it was on, man. Everyone was had good passion at that gig, you know, and that's important. And the crowd knows that too, right? If you're just going through the motions, as opposed to if you're really truly in the moment and enjoying it just as much as they are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's about attitude, yeah, too. How, how yeah. Are you, how are you feeling about yourself and things? And uh, so uh, my last gig was March 15th of this year. And then I, the pandemic hit, and then I broke my arm. But I Almost, had, it'd be seven months this week. Yeah, seven months. I just wow, that's the longest you've not played, I think, ever in your whole life. Probably ever, yeah. Um, but uh, yesterday, I just confirmed my first gig back, and it is excellent. When is it? October twenty fifth, Sunday, uh, afternoon, five to eight, at a place called Southport Music Hall, which is one of the nicest venues outside of the French Quarter, like just in and around the New Orleans area. Um, is it outdoor? And it's going to be outdoors on a deck. And right after a Saints game, so people. Oh wow! Yeah, so people will be out drinking, um, and you know, outdoors, so people can socially distance. I I haven't really been to anything like this here since the pandemic hit, so I'm really curious to see what it's going to be like. Like our and people is it with your usual band. It's with Be Suburban, yeah. It's with everybody, everybody wow. from the Crazy Corner band. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I Tr- Tracy had posted the gig online yesterday and i saw it and i was like i wonder if she's expecting me to play or, or or does she have somebody else or whatever and i was just like i, I just got to call her and find out what's going on because you know she puts the picture up of us you know with me in in the yeah, picture. right so she was she was in miami she's doing some stuff with her family uh and she said yeah yeah well, i was going to call you i want to see how your arm is and and if you could do this and i said yeah uh, um i could play i could do it um so it's it's she was very excited and it's confirmed and uh uh she didn't hasn't given me any information about like set list or anything and I'm going to try to ask her to get a set list to me um cuz we're going to do like an hour and a half take a half hour break maybe and then do an hour so that's you know 20 30 songs we need probably um so I, I but even if she doesn't I'm just going to brush up on all the stuff that I know she she'll want to do. I I, yeah, know, sure. I know I know the songs that she'll pick. Um and uh but here's the thing, like I haven't picked up my bass since surgery, so a couple months. Um so I don't really know that I can do it. <laughs> oh no, you know you can do it. You just got to pick it up and play. Yeah. I mean I mean my arm is getting better. It's like this physical therapy stuff really works. Um, I have these splints that I got to wear every day that stretch everything out. So uh, wait, when is your gig? The twenty fifth of October. So two weeks. Right, so two weeks see. from. So, that's, so twelve yeah. days from now. So, yeah, I got to get cracking. <laughs> right. So you got this week, 
this weekend, all of next week, and then next Saturday. Sunday, yeah. yeah. Before the gig, right? Because Sunday is the, the gig yeah. 25th, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, listen, I mean, I'm sure you're going to be more than capable of playing, but I just had a buddy of mine who hadn't played in a while, and he was like, oh, I'm reluctant to get back into it. I don't feel like I can really play at the level that I want to play because I haven't played since, you know, beginning of COVID and this and that. And so I had a little heart-to-heart with him, and I said to him, listen, I'm doing a 90-day challenge with him. We're playing 15 minutes a day every day, minimum. You can play longer if you want, mm-hmm. but you have to play your instrument. You have to pick it up, and you have to play it for 15 minutes. And the 90-day challenge started on October 1st, and it ends, uh, you know, on New Year's Eve. Okay. So far, he and I have both consistently now for, it'll be two weeks tomorrow since we started, uh, have, you know, maintained the 15 minutes. And, you know, he had, he had texted me just to say, thanks, man. Like, you know, the apprehension, I guess, of picking up his instrument was because he wants to pick it up and play at a hundred, you know, at top speed, at full, you know, fighting form right out of the gate. Right. You know? That's not so going to happen. The first week, just play scales and things that you would normally play, you know? No songs. Just work on how that instrument feels, you know, and, and get reacquainted with it, you know? And then, like, you know, like anything, dude, once you're back in it for, you know, an hour, you're, you know, you're, you're, yeah. you're back in again. Right. So, I mean, I know you. You'll just pick it up and play for four hours and try to get through <laughs> your set list, you know? I would just caution against that because your elbow's still, you know, in healing, so just slowly, you know, play for 15 minutes a day and just get your fingers working, man. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got to do. You're right. Um, you know? <clears throat> and I, I I have no fears or, or doubts that I'll be able to get back to the level I was at. Um, I mean, I was playing every night, you know, for, for almost 10 well, That's what I mean. So, like, you played years. every night for, say, six months, you know what I mean? And now you haven't played for seven months. It's, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a, a difference when you pick it up, how it feels and, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, how you feel about it, right? Yeah. But, like you said, you know you'll get back there. All I'm saying is just try to take baby steps because you got almost two weeks, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. Just to acclimate your body because physically, muscle memory, you know, it'll come back, but... Like you said, you you haven't held a base and your arm hasn't been in that position. And if you're gonna play a gig, you're gonna probably be on stage for three hours, right? Yeah, it's a three-hour gig. Hmm. Which which compared to Bourbon Street is really nothing. You know, the what I'm used to on Bourbon Street, three hours is is uh. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's like the beginning of the night. <laughs> well, it's it's four sets essentially. Uh, yeah. And we did that, you know, all the time, four sets or five sets or six sets. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm I I think I have so much of muscle memory built into me and so much love for music too built into me that that makes it easy for me to get back into that. Uh, How exciting, man. You must be very excited. I am excited because like, she was really excited when I talked to her on the phone about it. And when I found out it's going to be everybody that would normally be in the band. I'm like, oh, that's that's great, you know, because that that really has you have the familiar thing, and we haven't seen each other in a long time, so the, it'll be a joyous occasion for everybody. Everybody will be See, happy. But this is what Cover Band Central is all about. This is the message that you bring forth to the masses, right? Music. I try to cover bands, happiness, inspiration, like. You're so excited to play. Tracy's so excited that the band's going to get together to play. I just talked about my gig, how everyone was so excited to play, you know? Like, 
even during the pandemic, man, like, you know, musicians got to keep themselves inspired. They got to keep themselves dedicated to what they do. They got to be, you know, not bummed out that they're not playing or bummed out at the gigs, you know, and I know it's hard because a lot of people make money, you know, they're living doing this, right? And unemployment runs out and it becomes, you know, pretty desperate times. And you, you, you but music always puts a smile on people's faces and we are privileged enough and gifted enough with talent to be able to not just listen and enjoy it, but actually be able to not only perform it, but create it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's what it's all about, man. That community of musicians. It's not about, you know, who's better than who, or I don't like your band or, you know, this it, it's, it's, you know, forget all that, man. Focus on like all the positivity and the good stuff and, you know, the enjoyment, because like you said, that gig's coming, right? And you, you plan for it and it's two weeks away and all of a sudden you get there and it's going to be fantastic and then it's going to be over. Yeah. But the high will continue days after that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm already feeling it. I'm, yeah. I'm just excited to play in a live situation again and and with those people. Those people are very good and, and that makes me feel uh, like I, I need to make sure I, I shred over the next, you know, week and a half, whatever it is. Um, yeah. And I mean, I understand, you know, the pace that you're talking about and, and that's something I would def definitely follow. But actually one of the things that I, one of the first things I thought when I was thinking, okay, I have to go over these songs was, Ooh, I get a chance to go over these songs again and find the little things that I missed or, yeah. you know, yet, you know what I mean? And like really kind of relearn the song and think of it differently. So you have this, this thing that, and I, I think that I've gone through that a lot in my life where I had to go back and revisit a thing. And each time you kind of revisit it, it builds on that initial knowledge of it and the initial feelings of it and it just strengthens it and it and it, it makes you be able to translate the feelings of it more into your instrument and and that's really where that joy comes through man where, where it comes right through your body where you're just like i'm loving everything about this i'm in it i'm swimming in it and and people other people feel that so i'm looking forward to that feeling again i miss it you know it's that's something I really kind of thrived on because I got lucky. I was lucky, man, for playing for 10 years almost straight, you know, um, yeah. playing almost, you know, playing three nights a week, four nights a week, five nights a week, six nights a week. Um, you, you get to experience that feeling all, all the time. You know, it's almost like a drug. <laughs> like, you know. It is. And, you know, and during this pandemic, right, like everyone's missing that, right? especially early on, right? There was no bands. Everything's closed, you know, for a couple, three, two, three months, nothing going on, right? Then it slowly starts opening back up. You get back out. But it, it's about that inspiration, man, you know? And I would tell anybody out there that's listening who may be uninspired right now, you know, or feeling a little down about, you know, their band or their music or not having stuff going on, think back to what first inspired you to play your instrument, you know? And when you pick up that instrument, Go back to that, you know, and, and reassure yourself that this is what you should be doing and, you know, something you need to do. And it's therapeutic in a way, you know, as well. And we talked last week about, you know, I'm reconfiguring my mega kit, you know, the, right. the, the mega drum set. And, you know, I'm probably 25 hours into it and I'm like 40% done. But what I have done, I'm so inspired. I'm playing every day, you know, where 
you know, I used to play my other drum sets more than the mega kit, even though it sits here and it's got, you know, all the fun things waiting to play. I just wasn't inspired to play solo drums on a hundred piece kit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But now that I've revamped it and you know, I'll unveil it shortly to you guys, it's dude, it's so inspiring. Like I'm so excited about it. You know what I mean? Like I can't wait to work on it more and finish it and then play it all the time. You know, I want, I mean, it's too much to bring out to a gig, but just reconnecting with it. If that makes sense, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm excited. Like you said, it's something I played for, you know, 20 years regularly, you know, out gigging, you know, anywhere, everywhere, you know, people would say you, you, your band is absolutely insane. You bring like a tractor trailer full of stuff to play a club. Like what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> that's yeah. But like, you know, so we had to do, man, we had to bring to represent the music, you know, it was all originals. We had to, you know, you, you played it on, you know, you had five keyboards and, you know, a 15 piece drum set and the guy had a double neck guitar and you know, it all came with us, you know, whatever we needed. Um, so yeah. So it's, it, when you sit down, it's like, you look and say, man, like I look at this drum set and say, I, this is my first drum set, man. I bought it in 1985. You know what I mean? Wow. I'd special order it. And I got it in 86 cause it, you know, it was, it was custom built right from, from Yamaha. There was no, it wasn't on the shelf. You know what I mean? At the mm -hmm. time it was one of the biggest drum sets that they, they produced and they didn't make a lot of them. So it was custom order. So if you think back to that, like from 86, right? Mm-hmm. So 34 years I've had these drums, right. you know, and they were in there, you know, they've been set up at my house, you know, they haven't left the house in the past 10, I'll say, you know, right. but when it's done, dude, it's going to be the most sophisticated and advanced version five drum set you've ever seen. Excellent. Yes. So I'm very, very excited about that. I have gear still at crazy corner from. That, that I left there because I was thinking, ah, we'll be back soon. Yeah, we'll be back in no time. And when I was talking to Tracy, I said, is there any way I can get down to the club and get that? You know, it's I have an amp and a cabinet there. Um, and she said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll just call uh, so-and-so and, and he can meet you there and you can get that. And I'm like, it's such a relief, man, because I feel like so aparted from it, from my, my stuff that I would like really like to use playing live and I, I haven't been able to have it at home and tweak it and just play with yeah. it. And it's yep. really kind of relatively new equipment that I bought for that gig. So I never had it at home. I, I always just had it at the club and I, it's like an Ampeg um, uh, cabinet and then a, or an Ampeg uh, solid state and uh, uh, a Mark cabinet too. And it sounds killer. And, uh, but I, I've never had it at home, you know, where it's just like at home and I can mix and match cause I have other equipment here and I can kind of try and build the perfect rig. Um, so I'm excited about that. She's like, yeah, you can get it. Like, so, and I'll have that rig or, or a combination of something else for this new gig for this gig on the 25th. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Like, oh, I can, I can kind of work with my tone and. Uh, you know, get new strings. Like I'm excited. I want to get new strings, <laughs> restring yeah. bases, so they come out nice and crisp when I'm playing there and uh, and practicing and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited. But I know physically I can do it. Like I I can, because I can mimic doing it. Yeah, right. Um, but just doing it for it, the, the tightness is in my forearm. But it's really, dude. This is really helping the physical therapy. It's really getting 
getting this out. It's it's working. Oh yeah, no, it, it definitely will be successful. It's just you have to be diligent about the consistency of doing it. Yeah, I mean, and I'm going I'm going three times a week, and I have these splints that I wear at home a couple times a day. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I, I'm full in it. You know, that's what I'm really focusing my attention on is is getting my arm back to you know as close to normal as it's going to be. And considering, I mean, it was June nineteenth that I had that that I broke my arm. So it's been, you know, a little, it'll be a little over four months and I'm playing again. Yeah. So it's so great. And the big, yeah, the big picture, it's not that bad. No. And like you said, thankfully it was during a time when the band wasn't playing. So you weren't sidelined while, you know, they were out gigging. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It did kind of happen at the perfect time, but if we weren't in lockdown, I wouldn't have gone camping. So there's a little twilight zone there. Yeah. All things happen for a reason. You know that. Right. There's some secret reason that you haven't found out yet why you broke your arm. No, I think there's some reasons that I've found out already. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is true. I've, I've realized See, some things to myself. Yeah, some things may have been realized through through that incident. But like you said, sometimes we need uh, you know uncomfortable events to um, remind us of things and strengthen our awareness. Yeah, and it's aside from the physical pain, there hasn't really been much discomfort during this whole event for me i've had sure. i've had medical care good quality medical care and uh consistent and uh i i have the niceties and, and luxuries of living at home you know i have a, a place to live with all the all the creature comforts that anybody would ever want um so it hasn't been difficult you know it's other than the physical pain you know that that kind yeah. of sucks but and the the inconvenience of it at first and and it's still somewhat inconvenient but it's not as inconvenient as it used to be so it's you know it's it's getting better so i, I don't really feel i i feel like the benefit of this experience over the tragedy of this experience that's what i really focus on um, yeah and there's always a silver lining of some sort you know i remember i blew my knee out back in the 90s and had to get surgery and had it in this like immobilizer thing for like a month and we were gigging like three, four times a week. Mm -hmm. And there was no getting a replacement. You know what I mean? We were playing all originals. So I had double bass kit. So I took the right bass drum and I took the head off the beater side and took the pedal away. And I used to sit down behind the drums and stick my straight leg on a pillow into the kick drum. Right, there you go. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then play left-footed kick drum and then played all the double bass stuff with, you know, uh, a tom tom and and a and the bass drum back and forth, you know, because I couldn't, I had no, only had one foot, you know. But that was like I said, for like, you know, the first month, at least maybe six weeks, we played like that, and I had to get guys to help me, you know, I couldn't carry drums in, so guys had to carry everything in. I just sat there and, you know, directed them how to set it up. Pretty much, it was on a cage, you know. And then once it was all set up, then I would sit down, like I said, put my foot inside the bass drum. We'd play the set. I'd get back up, grab the crutches, and then hobble off. Mm. But out of that, you know, my left foot became, you know, extremely proficient because, you know, it was a couple of months there where I had to had to be the main foot, you know? Sure. Um, and, you know, just thinking about things differently again, just persevering and, and getting through it, you know? So Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the positive. Here, oh yeah, most of the time, um, I have to kind of reel myself in. Even sometimes, 
like like for instance for this gig as soon as i thought of like, like was thinking about it excited about it for a while like all right we're gonna play again and then i was thinking trying to get myself too involved in it like oh we should have set list and oh maybe i should write the set list and <laughs> like, that's what kind of goes through my head because i really want to go out and like kill it you know yeah and, yeah and that's kind of the band leader in me but i'm not the band leader so i have to kind of just reel myself in and be like oh no just just play just go play just go have fun let it be you know whatever right. it is um so that's more of, of my focus and that feels better because now I can just really kind of focus on my instrument and, and that's it. Not have to think right. about the business part of it. Stick with CBC for the business stuff. Yeah, no, that's great, dude. Yeah. Um, I'd been, you talked about Eddie before and that's it's still the whole passing of Eddie Van Halen is still reverberating. I think cause it's, oh, yeah. it's really showing up in, in popular culture all over the place. Um, which is great and justified and probably more credit than Van Halen had ever gotten in their whole careers. Uh, cause now, they're... yeah, well, I mean, Eddie was always, you know, I mean, think about it, you know, I read an article where he was talking about when he played on Michael Jackson's, um, beat it. And remember when it first came out, as soon as I heard it, I'm like, that's Eddie Van Halen on the solo, you know? Right. The guy sounds exactly like Eddie. And I remember the guys who was in the band with at the time were like, no, dude, Eddie's not in Michael Jackson's band, you know? And there was no Google, you know, to go investigate it, right? Right. So it was like you had to look in magazines or try to, you know, get some information down. And now, you know, years later, he says, like, all the guys on that record basically did it for free. And he was like the only guy that got paid and he got paid like 500 bucks or something, you know, and he just basically walked in and did it in one take. Yeah, I've heard that story of him going in and recording that song. Uh, What a killer solo. I mean, that a perfect solo for that song. And and Eddie's rhythm playing was always phenomenal. And he never got enough credit for himself as a rhythm guitarist because he's such a good soloist. Oh, dude, listen to the solo in Mean Streets. And listen to the, the the rhythm track he's playing behind his solo. Yeah. Ah, dude, it is just so killer, man. Yeah, he it's just like Eddie playing Eddie, but rhythm. <laughs> you know. Eddie is just oozing with groove. Everything he did oh, just dude, oozed with unbelievable, groove. Unbelievable, man. So I've been digging. I, I've gone down the Van Halen wormhole over, especially the last few days. Like I was watching videos. I'm like, my first Van Halen concert. We were talking about it last week. My first one was Diver Down Tour, 1982 or 1983. And I was like, I wonder if that's somewhere on YouTube. I wonder if somebody filmed that show somewhere and searched it. And sure enough, I found that a show from that tour and I started watching it. And man, oh, man, takes me right back. Like, wow, wow, wow. I get to kind of experience this concert again from uh, 30 plus years ago, almost 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. More than 30, 82. How many years is that? Yeah, it's almost, 30, almost 38, almost, almost 40 years ago. Almost 40 years ago. And I'm thinking, like, as a kid. That's frightening in itself, dude, just to say, like, I went to a concert almost 40 years ago. Yeah. Like, holy cow. Yeah, that's funny. But as such a uh, fan, as a kid, and so in awe of the live experience, oh my God, that's Van Halen on the stage. They're right there. That's David Lee Ross standing right there. Yeah, and yeah. That was that feeling back then and uh now it's like i get to go back and kind of sort of relive it more than i ever would be able to because it's 
it is that time. It is that tour. It is that set list. It is the it is those clothes that they were wearing that I remember seeing those pictures in Circus Magazine of those clothes all the time from that tour. And I having those pictures on my wall and then, and then watching the concert again. And it, of course, it's not from the perspective that you had, but yeah, yeah. but it's still it still in, in embodies the feeling that you had. And man, oh man, I got, I went down that home wormhole. I was like, okay, all right, I bet you I could find the 84 tour, which I also saw. And I found the 84 tour film too. And, and was watching that for a while and just, uh, oh, just digging it, just digging that band. Like how, just how much they commanded that arena. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, just Van Halen was one of a kind, you know? I mean, then Terry Carr said it best on DHA. She's like, if you were – Van Halen was part of the culture of North Jersey. Yeah. You grew up in the 80s, you know? Everybody listened to Van Halen. Everybody went to the shows. And I can remember, like you were saying, like being like, dude, that's him right there. I remember going to the NAMM show out in Anaheim, California, back in the mid-'90s, and the 5150 amp had come out, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe in like earlier 90s whenever that was but Eddie was there for like the promo for it and I remember the booth was mobbed with people but I got you know I got to see him I didn't get to talk to him or meet him or go get his autograph or anything but I remember you know standing 10 feet away from him being like oh my god dude that, that, that's Eddie Van Halen right there like in person like that's him for real right there <laughs> right I know. You know and he was playing guitar like he was doing like a little clinic you know to promote the amp and whatever right. so it was just like Dude, just all inspiring, and like you said, you know, if you've been to Nam show, you walk around. And, oh man, look, there's Stevie Wonder. Oh look, man, there's this guy. Oh look, there's that guy. There's Tommy Lee. There's you know, there's Vince Neil. There's this guy. Like you see so many musicians, you know, and they're just walking around, you know. Right. Hey, there's Steve Lukather. Let's go talk to him. There's Steve Smith. Let's go talk to him, you know. Right. And you just roll up to him, and be like, cool. dude, I'm a great, I'm a fan. And some guys are really cool, and some guys are not, you know. But for the most part, they're all pretty cool. Nice. Yeah, man. So I, I, I kept uh, kept going down that Van Halen wormhole and just watching videos. And then I Sirius XM has a channel uh, 27 dedicated as the, the Van Halen, Halen tribute channel. And it it's playing a lot of stuff that I had never heard, you know, like, oh, wow, because like, the Sammy albums, you know, I know them for the most. I definitely know all the popular songs, but I, 5150 on. I wasn't I, you know, I was more of a Dave fan. But I respect sure. Sammy, and, and, you know, I think he's great, and he was great for that band. But I just never kind of listened to those albums in the same way, like, start to finish, like the first. So you never watched Live Without a Net, which was that 5154 no, no, with him? No, and I'm familiar with it, and I, and I remember the MTV videos from it. Yeah. But, but I never actually watched the whole show, no. So yeah, That's great. It's a great show, man. I mean, I'm sure. the band is on fire. Yeah, I'm sure. So I'm hearing all this stuff on the radio now. Like Sammy stuff and even the Gary Sharon stuff, which what I had heard because I was working at Sam Goody when that album came out, so I listened to that whole thing more than once. But I don't really remember it at all. So now I'm hearing it again. I'm like listening with, with different ears now, like kind of paying attention to Eddie and his songwriting and oh, yeah. whatever stuff he was creative stuff he was doing there that I wasn't unaware of. So and I think that's happening with a lot of people that they're discovering more other Van Halen stuff that they. You know, didn't know about and really kind of I'm really falling in back in love with this band in the last couple of days. I've really just been like, oh, man, oh, yeah. just listening to Van Halen. And it's great. I mean, what a what a le- incredible legacy Eddie has left behind. Um, and and now it seems it really feels like he's getting the credit 
that he was always due. Uh, even the, I mean, he was always very well respected. He was always like guitarist of the year for Guitar World, and you know stuff like that. But but oh yeah, but but more among musicians than the general public. So uh, yeah, but I would say back in the you know eighties and nineties. I mean, Van Halen was huge, man. They were all over MTV. They oh, yeah. toured every year. When Sammy, you know, when Dave left, and then Sammy was right in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then yeah. they just kept on going, and they were. You know, they were all, I mean, those albums were huge hits, you know? Sure. 5150 was like, boom. They, you know, they just rolled right from one to the next to the next. You know, they, they were just cranking them out. Yeah. 5150, they had more hits than they had ever had. Yeah. Uh, but it was still Van Halen, but I think it was also, you know, it was a different mentality of songwriting, right? Because Sammy was also a songwriter, right? Because he had his own band at that one point, you know, right. with tunes that he wrote. He played guitar, so he could add some things to it. You know, he had great vocals. And right. then they had just come off in 1984, which was very keyboard heavy. You know, of course, the first keyboard album, which Dave wasn't a big fan of, you know, right, with the keyboard not. direction. But still, Eddie, you hear him on the keyboard. He's still playing all, you know, the solo from Jump is still... Eddie doing hammer-ons on the keyboard, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just like you said, that album had so many hits that they were just back on top again, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was a different kind of band, though. I like because I grew up on the Van Halen, David Lee Roth, obviously. And yeah, me too. And I, I was more of a rock guy. So it, I was at the age, and it was just that time where it was kind of like we were taking sides, and Dave came out with Eat Him and Smile, and it was like, okay, you know, that's the deal. You know that was Steve Vai and Billy Sheehan, and that was that was just killer. And then Sammy were, were more like love songs, you know. And it was like, eh, for for me at that time, it was just like, eh. Yeah, no, it definitely got away from it, but it definitely lined their pockets more than the, yeah, any yeah. previous Van Halen stuff did, you know. And that's always the thing, like with the sellout factor, right? Like, yeah. do you sell out and make millions, or do you stick to your guns and not, you know? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say they sold out. I mean, they just did what they. No, but you know what I mean. Like, like if David stayed in the band, they would have never wrote a fifty-one fifty album, right? And they probably wouldn't have had the 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 great success that they did. Yeah, for sure. But uh, they would have continued to have success. I mean, look, dude. I mean, who who am I to say anything? They were the high. They're in the Guinness Book of World Record as the highest paid band ever at the US Festival. Right, a million dollars. It was a lot at the time. Yeah, but they only played for I think like uh, eighteen minutes or something. Uh, no, it was longer than that. Because I, I I found that one too. <laughs> yeah, because I remember, but it was like some astronomical amount of money per second or per minute that they were on stage. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was a record. Yeah, at the time. Yeah, so they were huge, and that was eighty three. So. Yes. Yeah. And then jump when jump from eighty four was their biggest hit ever, and then uh, then when Sammy came along, but uh, yeah, respect for Eddie, just I mean ridiculous. Like he did stuff on soundtracks that I didn't know about too, and like did a collaboration with a uh, LL, <laughs> LL Cool J. <laughs> yeah, but not to cut you off, this guy says here. So Van Halen flies into the US Festival in a helicopter. Uh-huh. Eddie and Eddie and Dave get out. You know, they got paid. One point five million dollars, right? Guinness Book of World Records, yeah. Heavy Metal Day. They performed one set and were paid one point five million dollars. Yeah, which in '83 was a lot of money. 
Oh, yeah, and it was super extravagant, they said, you know? Yeah. They took the Diver Down tour, and then they, you know, that was, the, that was their largest world tour ever, you know what I mean? And they were trying to keep up the pace with how enormous they were growing at such rapid pace, you know? So they wanted a few months of relaxation to rejuvenate their creativity. Um, and then Eddie went to the studio and started writing songs for 1984, and then they were working on the whole thing, and then it took a little hiatus after the uh, Us Festival, and they wrote that album, and then it came out. And they had 400,000 watts of PA. Wow. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that crazy, man? That's a lot. Yeah, they were uh... – what the hell is going on? Yeah, and just that one, that one – venue that one event of the 1.5 million dollars then made them front line you know headline on the newspapers and all over the world and that even further bolstered their notoriety and their you know their rise to fame so to speak you know yep they were huge i don't know what's going on with my mic right now hello that's better okay um uh, so i'm doing some research on uh uh, Van Halen tribute bands, and I found a bunch. I found a couple already that are really good, so I'm going to do a little write-up on that and celebrate uh, tribute bands because they're going to kind of carry the torch now for Van Halen since Van Halen you're never going to see again. Um, and I found a good uh, uh, one a band called the Atomic Punks, and they do a version of Unchained, which is killer. The, the, the singer is like doing the Dave jumps, and he's got the Dave screams down, and he's got the tone of Dave's voice too. Um, and the Eddie guy is great, um, so nice. I'm gonna find more of those and uh, do do write up on that. So look out for that on CoverBandCentral.com. Make sure you're joining up and uh, getting a profile for your band and for yourself. You can do both and spread the word. We're growing and uh, we're gonna keep going because we love it. See you next week. Peace. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com 
code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 